Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Consider us a break from all the Christmas music you've probably been hearing the last couple of days. It's episode 293 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham and so happy to be doing something a little bit different this week. We're going to be talking about a movie called Another Version of You that was available on iTunes this week. As a matter of fact, we're going to sit down with director and writer Maki Dapp and one of the stars who plays Suzette on the movie Sarah Antonio. And it's a really, really interesting concept involving, you know, basically other dimensions and parallel universes, stuff like that. So we'll talk to them about it's it's very funny, it's very deep, it's a very layered movie. We'll get into that here in just a few minutes. Also, with Crisis on Infinite Earths looming, I thought we would do a little bit of a crisis preview. Going to be talking about, you know, who might live and who might die in crisis, what my expectations might be with Crisis on Infinite Earths starting on December the 8th on the CW with the DC TV crossover event. That would be a good time to kind of just talk about that a little bit. But you know everything starts with comics on the show. It's what we're reading next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is comic book creator Jason Sean Alexander, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Grab your tablet or your laptop, or maybe you're just pulling out the old-fashioned long box. Whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading, and it's time for a newer era, or at least a return to the old one, for John Constantine. That's right, John Constantine, Hellblazer, number one from DC in the Sandman universe. Simon Spurrier doing the writing. Aaron Campbell on the art. Jordi Belair on the colors. And Aditya Bidikar on the letters. How about John Paul Leon on the colors? That amazing cover. Now, here's the deal. This really felt like, and I don't really really get too deep into the story here because I like to do the spoiler free, but what this felt like was it felt like a return to what you remember Hellblazer being like. And, and and to me, this was the, first of all, John Constantine is not a very universally well-liked character in his own stories, is he? It just seems like nobody really wants to be around Johnny. But here's the deal. When you're in, he's very much in his element. I mean, we're, we're back in the U.K., and it just feels right. Everything just feels like it's in the right place. And and what the and it's really hard to talk about the story without revealing what's going on and what it is that that John's looking into. Looking into. Let's just say there's something very violent and strange going on, and it's pretty brutal. That's that's all I can tell you, really, without spoiling anything. It's very supernatural. And very brutal. And the way it's brought to you on the page, and this is why you go out and get an artist like Aaron Campbell. Aaron Campbell just has this uncanny ability in the books that he does to just make the supernatural surround the entire story. It's almost like you could not write a single word on the page, let Aaron do his thing, and you could totally understand what was going on. That's how unbelievable... The artwork just draws you in, and that is a very apt pun, I will tell you that. I I found myself just kind of getting lost 
in the art instead of actually I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I actually have to read read the dialogue in the story so I can actually you know, figure out what everybody's saying and find out what the characters' reactions to this stuff is because I, I was just lost in the art of this book. And it's funny because there was so much normalcy in this story where, and maybe a little bit of a spoiler, you see you see John get thrown out of a place and, and, the, and the, one of the bouncers or the security people for the place, I, I use that term very loosely, kind of comes to his aid a little bit. but And their little byplay that they had together that was very interesting. And I think we haven't seen the last of her, by the way. I won't, again, I won't spoil anything, but I don't think we've seen the last of her character. And everything just seemed like it was back to the Hellblazer roots where you've got this supernatural element, the supernatural thing that's happening. And you've got John Constantine, who's kind of like, eh, I don't really want to take to, to deal with this, but I guess I'll deal with it. I guess I'll look into it sort of thing. And it's almost, it's like it's it's back his backhanded duty to have to do so, right? And and it's just the very beginning stages of it. But again, the art in this book is just so freaking fantastic. And I, I knew that about Aaron Campbell going in, but seeing it brought to life in a character like, with a character like John Constantine in a Hellblazer book, this feels like home for Aaron Campbell. It also feels like home for John Constantine. And this is a story, while it seemed very, very normal on the surface, and there there were certainly a lot of, you know, times where things were just, you know, there wasn't really a whole lot of action going on. It just seemed like somebody going about their day. It was like, think about like what made Seinfeld such a brilliant show. At times it was, yeah, it might have been a show about nothing, but it was a show about plenty of some things. And that's kind of what John Constantine Hellblazer number one was for me, even though it does have a clear direction. There were plenty of times where it was like, okay, this doesn't really, this isn't really part of the larger story, or is it? Just because something supernatural isn't going on doesn't mean there aren't other things going on as well. So I'm very intrigued. Gonna throw this one in the poll box, not just because I love John Constantine, but because I'm very curious to see how things move forward and if this will be. A, like an entire first arc with the supernatural element or if there's something if there's a larger thing at play here that we're going to find out about in the next issue or two so I'm going to throw this one in the pull box just for the art alone I mean it's just fantastic speaking of great art we got another one for you it's Philadelphia number one from Image Comics Rodney Barnes on the story here and Jason Sean Alexander doing the art Luis Nicht on the colors and Marshall Dillon on the letters. Now, this follows a man who is, you know, one police officer whose father was also a police officer in, yeah, you guessed it, Philadelphia. Now, he doesn't really get along. He didn't really get along with his dad. And it goes really a lot into what their relationship was like and the family dynamic, what that was like. We get that. But basically, something's happened to dad and he's had to go back to Philadelphia. He left Philadelphia to, to, you know, start his own life in another city. And now he's coming back because of something that happened to his father. And it leads him to a case that his father was working on. Now, it's funny because you get to see a little bit of what dad was working You get to see a little bit of dad's life. You get to see what he was working on, like, in real time. You get to see his investigation. Then you also flash forward to the present, to the son. So there's some flashback and flash forward going on in this issue. And it's funny because... The way that this story was being told, and I wasn't sure at first, 
Because at first when I started reading it, I'm like, all right, maybe this is a little bit all over the place, and I'm not sure if this is really something that I'm going to enjoy. And then as I'm reading it, I'm like, it's like you're being taken on the investigation with them, where I found myself before I, you know, it's not like I flipped to the back to make sure I knew what the end result was. So I felt like I was carried along on the investigation trying to figure out what it was that they might discover, what it was they might be looking for. And as I thought about what it might be, I was like, there's no way that this is what it is. And that's exactly the reaction of the detective and the and the medical examiner that was part of the investigation as well. That's what they, That's what they were feeling. So that's where I found the brilliance in the story. I was like, oh, so we're being taken along for the ride. It's almost like a ride-along in a certain sense. So I thought that that was really, really an interesting way to go. And then you go to the present and the son's perspective and it it feels different. It feels more like a narrative. It feels more like a story. So in one sense, in the flashbacks, I feel like I'm being taken along with, for the ride. And then with the present day story, it feels more like a story. So it's very interesting how the two dynamics work at play here. And I, I could be crazy. I could be completely nuts. And that could not be the case at all. Maybe, maybe you read it differently, but that's how I read it. And that's what made it interesting for me. And then you throw in this just raw art by Jason Sean Alexander. It's almost like watching something come into focus for the first time when you see the art on the page with Philadelphia and just any Jason Sean Alexander book. The, the, it's such such detailed art in such a unique way that it just blows me away every time I, I read a book that has Jason Sean Alexander's name on it. It's just so fascinating to me how he brings characters to life and then you bring him into this this world and also the the subject of the investigation, let's put it that way, not to spoil anything. And then when you see what that is, there was a very subtle part to one of the pages that kind of gave away what they were looking for. And it was very subtle, very quick. And I noticed it and I was like, oh, that's a brilliant way to have your reveal of what this case is all about. And then you fast forward to the end in the big cliffhanger, the big wow moment at the end of the book, and it just pops right off of the page. And a lot of that has to do with Louise Nick's colors as well, just because there's one element in particular for the colors that was very, very important with that final reveal, and they nailed it. This was, again, very much like the Constantine book that I was just talking about, whereas I I wasn't sure if this was something that I was really going to enjoy at first, and then I realized what the brilliance in the story was, and I got hooked about halfway through. So if you start to, if, if again, with this book, if you think it's dragging a little bit, Stick with it. You will not be sorry you did. I'm going to throw this in the poll box as well. So a couple of good ones this week. John Constantine Hellblazer, number one, from DC. And Philadelphia number one, from Image Comics, both in the poll box this week. That's going to do it for what we're reading. Up next, we'll talk about Christ's on Infinite Earths and give you a little bit of preview of what you might be able to expect coming up when it debuts on December the 8th. That's next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Matt Lesher from The Flash and Legends of Tomorrow, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The crisis is a week away, or even less than a week away, depending on when you're listening to the show. So I thought I would jump on here real quick. Since it's a holiday weekend and there's really not a whole lot going on, I thought I would jump on and talk about 
Crisis on Infinite Earths. If you've watched my watch parties on TV Co. for the Arrowverse this year at TV Co. I, excuse me, at Down and Nerdy on the TV Co. app, which you should be, by the way, because they're a lot of fun. We do a lot of fun stuff on there. I've kind of, I've had to do a couple shows when, you know, there's been no new episodes talking about stuff that, you know, I feel like could be happening on Crisis on Infinite Earths and, and certain things that, that may or may not occur, certain things that I'm looking forward to. So I thought I would do that quickly here. Maybe not run down the whole two hours of stuff that I've been doing, but just certain certain particular elements that I thought was interesting. First of all, I'm glad, I like I said last week, that we're really not getting a ton of trailers. We're just getting kind of bits and pieces of teasers here and there that don't really give us a whole lot of information, but... Based on what we've seen so far, one of the frustrating things for me is is how Oliver's pretty much decided now that that the monitor is telling the truth and that and that he is, you know, trying to save the multiverse instead of trying to create the problem. Whereas exactly the op- opposite seems to be happening on the Flash, especially with Nash Well. So just because of one little event of this past week's show, which, by the way, the whole time loop thing was incredibly frustrating. I don't know if it was for anybody else, but in in such a solid season of Arrow, I thought that that was a completely unnecessary episode, and I just I just didn't enjoy it. But anyway, what I was what I'm trying to say is that the trust in the monitor. I don't understand why any of this guy's actions would make you think that he's doing this for the greater good, especially since he basically allowed Earth Two to be wiped out. You know, and and it was almost like a punishment. And he told Oliver, well, you know, if you hadn't meddled, then Earth 2 would probably still be here. Well, I mean, mean, what the hell? So, you know, you either obey me or I'm going to allow a universe to be destroyed. And then he says to Laurel, remember, he's like, well, I, you know, we can bring this back. All you have to do is betray Oliver. And then, oh, well, that was that was just a test. Really? Come on. I, I just... What about this makes you naive enough to think that you should you should be trusting the monitor in this situation? And here's the other thing that, that makes things interesting for me. And that's in the teaser, of course, you saw John Cryer's Lex Luthor standing by the hero. So you, you almost assume that you know he's going to be on the side of the heroes on this one. And when you when it comes to crisis, you know, seeing Lex Luthor stand next to Superman, yeah, that's tells you right there that it's got to be a pretty big deal if they're willing to stand shoulder to shoulder against anything. Well, you know, the of course, Lex wants to be the highlight of the show all the time, so that's part of it too. And, you know, if, if Lex isn't the, the biggest game in town, then he's going to make sure he takes down the biggest game in town. But I thought that was interesting because we kind of thought John Cryer was done, right? As Lex Luthor, and then, and then not so much. But, but again, I don't understand what the trust in the monitor is at this point. Obviously, lesser of two evils because we know that the anti-monitor is coming. But that's the thing, too, that they don't know. All they know is, of course, they've brought up the anti-matter, but he he just told them a crisis is coming. He didn't say from what or from who, and he's not even giving them all the information. So that's the other thing that's really, really crazy to me. So will that, you know, end up coming to a head at some point? I guess we'll have to find out. Once we get to crisis. Now, here's the thing. I kind of ran down a whole who I think is going to live and who I think is going to die from every show or who could possibly be in the danger zone. And here's something I want to bring up because I don't think I've brought this up. I don't think I've brought this up on the show before. I don't think Oliver Queen actually dies 
in Crisis on Infinite Earths. Like it, like's basically been told to us this entire time. Because again, at the remember at the end of the last season of Arrow, when Felicity steps through the portal and she talks about, you know, this is, you know, it's our time. It's the I've been waiting for this. Blah 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 blah. I don't remember the exact verbiage. Anyway, why would she do that if Oliver was actually dead? And who better to to fake their death than Oliver Queen? Right? It's not like he hasn't sort of played that little game before in a certain sense, right? So I think that Oliver actually becomes the new monitor. He takes the monitor's place, and that is the deal that he made, was to be the new monitor. That was part of the deal that he made, was to be the new monitor. Should things, you know, go down the way that they will likely go down in Christ's on Infinite Earth. Now, I know that the actual deal deal was that he had to, you know, assist the monitor, with this crisis. So I'm not saying that the monitor knew he was going to die or lose his job and then Oliver would have to take over. I'm just saying that's the way I think things are going to things are going to end up. I do think that Oliver will live. Now, the the characters that I think are that are really kind of in the danger zone. I think that Cisco is very much in the danger zone. Here, I'm very very worried about whether or not Cisco is going to make it through crisis. Even though we see him as vibe in that poster. Did you notice that? We, we know that he's given up his powers, or supposedly he has anyway. So how we see him as Vibe all of a sudden, I thought was really, really interesting. But I think most of the Flash characters are actually okay. Like, I think Iris is okay. I worry about Joe, though, too. That's another one. I mean, if you want to... I mean, not that that family hasn't been gut-punched enough. But I would really, really worry about Joe in Crisis. And I'm not, I'm not even sure... Maybe, hopefully he won't be involved in it and we won't have to worry about him and he will be safe. But I just worry that that's just one more thing that they're going to do to that poor Alan West family or West Allen family. I, I just, I really, really am concerned that that is something that could go down. I would be concerned about Jay Garrick, about John Wesley Ship's Flash. I don't know that he's going to necessarily make his way out of this one. I think that a lot of the characters from Supergirl are safe. I don't think we have to really worry about any of them. As a matter of fact, I think that Supergirl herself, Car, is is safe because I don't know where that show goes without her. They've really dug deeply into their own story. They've barely even mentioned Crisis on their current storyline in their show. So with Leviathan and everything, you can't take Supergirl out of that equation and still have a show. Or otherwise, everything you've been doing up until now has been for nothing, and I sort of doubt that. So you can't really take her out of that. I also think that, of course, you know, Superman and Lois are safe because they have a pilot episode that's going to be coming on next season. And the same thing with Green Arrow and the Canaries. I think your Canary characters, they're obviously safe from Crisis. So, I mean, maybe that's some of the... Some of the obvious ones. And, and, of course, we know that Black Lightning himself, Jefferson Pierce, is going to be involved there. So I think he'll be safe. And I would say the same for the entire Pierce family because I don't think any of them are really going to be involved in Crisis. But, again, it seems like, you know, Lex Luthor, he's another one that could that could certainly die again in Crisis. Although we don't know what version of Lex Luthor this is either. We've got to keep that in mind. Also, we've got Ryan Choi, remember, is the Adam, and I think he's safe because I think that again, you don't bring him in for this role unless you're going to be unless you're going to do something about it. 
So I, I really think that Ryan Choi, we, we might not have seen the last of him, and especially with Legends of Tomorrow premiering on January the 14th with their episode of Crisis, it seems like they're going to have a larger role than you would think, too. But again, I think that, you know, anybody from the Wave Rider is free, is free, is free reign in this crisis as far as could actually die in crisis other than Sarah. I think everybody else could possibly perish in crisis. I don't think that they will, but I certainly think that they are in the danger zone. It's just really hard to pinpoint. And and I do think that Barry will vanish in the crisis. I do. I don't know how they're going to work the whole blood work Ramsey Rosa thing in, but I think that there will be somehow, some way, Barry probably, I think he will actually vanish in the crisis. Now, again, I don't think it'll be for very long because that show kind of has a way of doing that and then pulling it back and it doesn't end up being for very long. So I think that'll again be the case here. They'll find a way to bring him, sort of bring him back into the fold, especially after what happened in this past week's episode of The Flash. It'll be interesting to see what happens this Tuesday with Barry basically being corrupted by Ramsey. He, and he's a blood brother now of blood work and he, he bent the knee and all that stuff. So it's funny how they did that, and they're obviously going to have to wrap that up pretty quick because then they got to jump right into crisis. So I guess that's why you have one more episode to go, and then you get to crisis because otherwise, how on earth, or on infinite earths, I should say, would you even do that? But again, I just think that I I could not be more thrilled and excited for this crisis on infinite earths. I mean, you've also got a Kevin Conroy who's going to be playing Kingdom Come Batman now, which is so amazing. We're going to actually, looks like we're going to get to see him suited up, at least in some way, shape, or form. We've already seen a couple of different looks at Kingdom Come Superman with Brandon Routh and getting to see him in the suit again. And we didn't see a whole lot of Tom Welling, and apparently we won't as Smallville Superman. But we did get to see you know, a little bit of a look of a look photo of him. And again, I still would not put the whole Lucifer thing past anybody. I think that there are so many Easter eggs that we're going to see. Even if that's just an Easter egg, I think I'd be a little bit excited just to see Lucifer on the, in the Arrowverse, even for a little bit. Uh, I still am really praying for that meeting between he and John Constantine. I know that Tom Ellis said that it was false and all that stuff, but come on. I, I just... I just really, really feel like that would be a neat thing that they could do. And I think that there are still plenty of surprises that we don't know about that are going to be happening in Crisis. I mean, think about, I mean, could we get some sort of at least an image from the 89 Batman verse and, and Michael Keaton? I don't think they got Michael Keaton, but that would be pretty neat, right? Because you'd have to get Michelle Pfeiffer, too, if that were the case. And I just feel like there's some characters that will at least be name-dropped, if not seen, in the Arrowverse, I mean, imagine Adriana Pilecki as Wonder Woman if she shows up. Remember that failed series that never came to pass. I, her being able to play Wonder Woman f- finally on the screen would be pretty, pretty cool. I know. I, again, I'm not sure how much of the stuff that they were allowed to do. I know that Mark Guggenheim has said they sort of had a wish list of characters, and I'm not sure that they got all of them. But I got to tell you, I'd be really psyched if they got a chance to do that. So remember, Crisis on Infinite Earth starts with Supergirl on Sunday, December the 8th, and then Batwoman, special episode of Batwoman on December the 9th. That's a Monday. And then, of course, we have The Flash 
on December the 10th, where, you know, that could be the vanishing point for Barry. We'll just have to wait and see. And then, yes, DC's Legends of Tomorrow returns along with Arrow after their little holiday hiatus for the final two episodes of Crisis on Infinite Earths on January the 14th. Cannot wait for that. And, of course, yeah, join me for the watch parties on TV Co. Get the TV Co. app and follow me at Down and Nerdy there, and you can watch it live with me every week. It's a lot of fun. That's going to do it for my little preview of DC's Crisis on Infinite Earths. Up next, even though there was a holiday week, we still had some nerd news items, and we'll talk about them on the Down and Nerdy podcast. Hi, this is Keiko Agena from Fox's Prodigal Son, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast. There's some things we just can't quit. It's time for nerd news. Maybe not just us necessarily, but how about Henry Cavill? Because in an interview with Men's Health, he revealed, of course, in December that, you know, the cape's still in the closet. You know, he's still hoping that he could play Superman. And that is kind of been brought up again in, in another recent interview. And this was reported by Entertainment Weekly saying, you know, that he basically, you know, has not given up hope on the possibility of playing the role again. Now, you might remember we talked about the story of him being out as Superman not too long ago. I mean, it seemed like it was just a few months ago. It seemed like it was a done deal. Well, maybe it's not a done deal after all, because now all of a sudden there's another story that was reported by comicbook.com. Well, actually kind of got got legs, kind of got brought to life from comicbook.com in an interview that they did at a press junket for, of all things, Jumanji The Next Level. They actually talked to somebody that's involved in the in the making of the Black Adam movie. And basically what they said was is that, yeah, you know, it kind of makes sense for Superman to be in that movie, wouldn't it? You know, being a powerful deity, you know, it seems like it could make sense that we could absolutely see Superman in a Black Adam movie. And remember, we kind of thought we might get a Superman cameo in Shazam that never happened, although we did get the Superman suit. We just didn't see who was in it. Well, now here's the possibility, now that Shazam and Superman are buddy-buddy, that you know he might ask Man of Steel to help out with a, with a vicious villain like Black Adam in a Black Adam movie, which, by the way, is coming out in 2021. And also something to think about, all the rumor mills that have been started about DC movies, I don't really want to get into that because it's it's basically conjecture at this point, saying that the speculation is a super, another Superman movie wouldn't be until 2023 at the earliest. So there's that little, that little nugget of information. Well, how about the fact that Black Adam comes two years earlier, and, I mean, it's certainly a possibility Superman could be in it, and we know that apparently, according to Henry Cavill, he's too fat to play James Bond, so he won't be playing any, any Bond movies anytime soon. Other than The Witcher, his schedule looks pretty open. The question is, is that would you want to see Cavill back as Superman? I never thought he was the perfect Superman, but I never thought he was the problem with the Superman movies either. I actually enjoyed Man of Steel. I didn't think it was his fault that they CGI'd his mustache out in Justice League. I wouldn't have had a problem with it if he ended up having a mustache in there. Wouldn't have bothered me at all. I know it would have bothered some, but it wouldn't have bothered me. And again, I don't think that there's anything wrong with the way that he's portrayed with the way that he's portrayed Superman, really. I mean, he's certainly got 
some charm and personality. We've seen more of what he we what he can do in some of his other movies when he's giving given a little bit more to work with. So I certainly think that this is a chapter that fans shouldn't close the book on, and I don't understand why anybody has. And until it's absolutely official, we're Warner Brothers. We're Warner Brothers. I want to make that very very clear. Comes out and says, "Yeah, sorry, he's done. Not happening. I think you have to leave open." That possibility. So again, uh, to me, it's it, quite frankly, it's fingers crossed that we see Henry Cavill back as Superman, and even for the Black Adam movie, I think that would be really, really cool. Speaking of movies, here's one that you'll have to wait a little bit longer for because, yeah, apparently, Deadline is reporting that Godzilla versus Kong—that's right, the big Godzilla versus King Kong mashup movie from Legendary and Warner Brothers—is going to be delayed this time until. November 20th of 2020. Now, if you're wondering when the original release date was, it was March 13th of 2020. And it doesn't seem like there was, you know, the reason for this was like any, you know, heavy competition or anything like that. It just seems like they want to make sure they get this right. As a matter of fact, Toby Emmerich, you know, the big Warner Brothers Studios boss, basically said they want to make a, quote, A-plus movie. And I think that, you know, they want, obviously, everything's already done and ready to go. It's just one of those things where, you know, you take a step back, you look at something and you know what, and you say, you know what, we need to give this a little bit more time. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Why would you? I know that this is a movie that I certainly want to see. I've been looking forward to this ever since it was announced and I knew that they were going to do it. I certainly think that Kong Skull Island was better than the Godzilla movies that have come out, but that's, you know, neither here nor there. At this point, I think that this is a, uh, this is definitely a movie that's hotly anticipated, but... You know, why rush it if you don't have to? I mean, and if, as you can tell from the Thanksgiving window of movies this past weekend, I mean, other than Knives Out and Frozen coming out the, the week before, it's not like it's been a huge box office weekend for movies in November. So November seems like a pretty good spot to me to, to have this land instead of in the spring. It just doesn't matter. I, I would rather they take the time to get it right and do what they need to do to make it look visually striking because I'm not sure what you what you could do as far as, you know, reshoots of dialogue or anything like that. But I mean, how much do we really care about that, right? It's Godzilla versus Kong for a reason. I know these versus movies don't end up really turning out to be versus anything in the end. They kind of tend up being team ups and I think that this probably will end up happening here as well at the end of the day. But still, it's something that we want to see because we want to see that battle, right? If anything, we just want to see the two of them on the screen together, especially as epically amazing as, uh, uh, let's face it, whether you liked the movies or not, King Kong and Godzilla in their movies have been pretty visually striking, and there have been a lot of visually striking moments in these movies. You bring those worlds together now, I think it's going to look pretty great, and I think that them taking the time to make sure it does, I'll wait a year to be able to get a perfect movie, or at least a visually perfect movie, because that, to me, is going to be the number one thing that is most important when it comes to Kong versus Godzilla. And we're going to stick to more movie news this week. That's kind of the only stuff that we really got. And that is Elizabeth Banks, who was just behind the camera for the Charlie's Angels reboot, will jump behind the camera once again for an Invisible Woman movie. Not that Invisible Woman. We're talking about the Universal Monsters version of the Invisible Woman. This according to the Hollywood Reporter saying that she will not only direct but star in an Invisible Woman movie that will be written by Aaron Cressida who did The Girl on the Girl on the Train. Now, 
you might remember The Invisible Woman wasn't exactly like the horror, you know, in the horror genre of these Universal Monster movies. It was almost kind of like a comedy movie, right? Where it's like somebody was trying to get back at their boss or something like that. Am I remember, remembering that correctly? I mean, of course, I wasn't alive in the 40s. So, I, 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 you know, pardon me for that. And I think I've only seen the movie once forever ago. So I'd certainly have to refresh my memory on that. But this would certainly be a different... And, and, and Elizabeth Banks, from the, the, the report, says she's, you know, she's going to have her own fresh take on the character. Now, is that going to mean like a straight-up comedy movie? I don't necessarily think so. Because remember, this is being done by Sony Pictures, by the way, and who also did... Brightburn, where Elizabeth Banks was also involved in, you know, dark superhero movie. So it's not like that's all Elizabeth Banks knows how to do is comedy, and she's certainly been in her fair in her fair share of non comedies as well. So I think that you know, while it wasn't necessarily a success, the Charlie's Angels reboot was. I think that that's kind of easy to admit, and I certainly think that. While I have not seen it yet, so I cannot throw shade at it or even praise it or anything like that, and I still do plan on seeing it because I thought it looked really, I thought it looked really fun, and I thought it looked like it was just going to be a blast. I wasn't looking for any in-depth storytelling or anything like that. I just wanted to see, you know, a little bit of little bit of girl power there, and and you know, just butt kicking and and just a fun movie. And I I kind of hope that's still what it is at the end of the day. And you know, Elizabeth Banks took a lot of heat for that. And she came out and got, you know, a little testy at times with a few things that were that were said about the movie. And, you know, she's talked about how hard it was. And, you know, especially being an uphill climb for, for a female-led action movie. And, and quite frankly, I think that this is going to be more the same. Not just because it's, it's a female-led movie. And those tend to, you know, it's a little bit tougher for those female-led movies to, to get a leg up. But it's also a not marquee character in the Universal Monsters world. It's not Frankenstein. It's not the mummy. It's not, you know, Wolfman. It's not, you know, it's not Dracula. So, you know, you're you're suddenly going down the list there before we get to the Invisible Woman. And that's, you know, that was just a product of those movies back then, you know? And 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 quite frankly, I would um, I would love to get some of those other movies, especially a Wolfman movie, before we get this one, but and and I don't think that this is necessarily the whole dark universe thing again either. I think they've given up on that, and they're going to do solo movies and see how it goes, which is probably what they should have done in the first friggin' place. But that's that's an un, you know an argument I've made before, and I'm not going to go down that road again. My thing is is that I'm glad they're going to do an original take on the character. I'm glad they're going to let Elizabeth Banks. It seems like seems like have a little bit of freedom here but again this is not one that I look at and see oh this is going to be a major blockbuster this is going to be something I'm going to keep my 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 mind open I'm going to stay optimistic but again I I just I don't know is this is this you go down the list and you're like is this the one that you want to do is this the one that you want to really move forward and who knows this might not actually end up seeing the light of day anyway but I mean you get Elizabeth Banks for a reason don't you so we'll see how it goes. Hopefully it's great, and hopefully it's the launching pad for more Universal Monsters movies because i got to tell you, we are starving for a good one as far as I'm concerned. That'll do it for Nerd News. Up next, going to be talking to the director and writer of another version of You, Monkey Depp, and we'll also be joined by Suzette herself, Sarah Antonio, to talk about the movie about parallel universes and finding love next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. <laughs> 
Hi, I'm Melanie Scrifano. I play Winona Earp, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. We're talking about another version of you, which is a really cool movie that you might not have heard of before, and that's why we're here. We have writer and director Maki Dapp and the woman who plays Suzette. It's Sarah Antonio. How are you both doing today? Hey, I'm doing really well. I'm doing great Thanksgiving. Well. Yes, me too. Yes, happy Thanksgiving. Hopefully you guys are nice <laughs> and full and happy, and hopefully everybody's you know, is going to spend part of their Thanksgiving weekend watching another version of you. So now, one of the things I loved about this right off the bat is that a lot of times movies involving parallel universes you know, have the potential for like dire circumstances and worlds colliding and all this stuff, but this is much lighter. Do you feel like another version of you is a combination of like different genres that are really underserved right now? I mean, that was kind of my hope. You know, I, uh, I actually came up with this idea in 2011, and I wrote a novel version of it and realized it would work a little better as a movie and then spent several years trying to get that going. Uh, but, you know, I love movies like About Time and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind that focus not as much on the, the science fiction, the technology, but more on the relationships and that was kind of something I was I was I want to see more of. And as a filmmaker, the only way to see more of the things that you want are to make them. There you go. So. That's a perfect way. Yeah, to put agreed. It. Perfect way to put it. Now, while the, while the focus is on, while the focus is really on Digsy a lot, who's your main character, we do get to see multiple versions of Suzette, which I thought was really really cool. So, Sarah, how fun was that for you? And did you actually have a favorite version of yourself? Yes, yes, and yes. Um, I this is sort of a, a dream role for an actor. I got to play multiple versions of uh, theoretically the same character, who um, is fairly unique in each different universe that we see her in. So I looked for ways to kind of ground her and keep sort of the same essence throughout, but then really explore the different ways this character might show up in these different worlds. Um, so I loved it. It was so much fun, and Monkey is such a actor's director it was so much fun to work with him on this but um yeah i think universally there's probably a favorite um if you've seen the film the the suzette with the blue wig is probably what i would say i I generally get the feedback that people um just it was she was really fun to play it was probably the most um out there version of suzette Mm -hmm. and um just just so much fun and um chris wenty who plays digsy is just a blast to make him feel uncomfortable, which is what I was going for. <laughs> I think you succeeded oh, mightily, yeah, and I think I people will see that when they actually see the movie if they haven't already. Seriously, I'm so glad you said that. I'm thinking spinoff, but you know, I'm not trying to put ideas in Maki's head. Yes, oh, love it. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'll, this one will be for the this one's for for the both of you, really. There's there's a stereotype when you're talking about parallel universes that each version of a person is vastly different, like we were just talking about. But I also feel like the movie looks at a lot of the similarities similarities as well. So you think that that was like a conscious choice on your part, Maki, or was like that kind of a happy accident? No, it was very, very intentional. Uh, you know, because one of the things, um, you know, there's a scene where Digsy is uh, explaining how parallel universes work, and it's uh, to his sister, and it's this, it's a very simplistic way. He uses candies to kind of tell you mm-hmm. how it works. But the whole idea for me was, you know, we make a choice early on in life and it's, you know, there's a split and then, you know, and uh, so I wanted to have that similarity, not just from, uh, from a budget standpoint, because it's easier to shoot in the same places, but, um, but more so from a story standpoint to where, 
you could say, oh, if I had just made this choice here, things could have maybe been a little different. Um, there's a there's a deleted scene. Uh, actually, it's a deleted. We, we went to Iceland and France and filmed in 2015 and got our first footage, and we shot a whole bunch of scenes there that uh, didn't make it into the film, unfortunately, and we'll hopefully eventually release that on YouTube or something, but... Uh, there was this version of Suzette who was very sweet, very much like his original Suzette, who we never really got to meet. And they talk about how they they dated in high school and how that changed everything, and they realized they just weren't compatible or whatever. So uh, there's just these interesting things that, that I, I wanted to explore to think, man, if I had made this choice here, would that have done mm -hmm. this? Um, and that's and that's something that we we really talked about a lot and tried to, especially for Suzette to make her so vastly different, but then for our Gwyneth character to make her almost exactly the same, just to kind of have that uh, interesting balance between those two characters. It's funny because I was actually going to bring up Gwyneth because I think that she's one character that that really stood out in the movie as well, played by C.J. Perry. And why why she's such a perfect fit for the story is is almost kind of like the the other option, so to speak. Oh, you know, she is almost an exact opposite of Sarah, which is which is great. I mean, they are, I and I love that for Digsy. Uh, you know, in the script, they were they were just vastly different, and when we had the opportunity to bring CJ on. Uh, I just, I was like, there's not anybody that's any more different than Sarah. And we had already filmed some <laughs> stuff with Sarah. So it was, it was perfect to have those two, two sides uh, for Dixie to go, Oh, there are people out there that aren't Suzette that are completely the opposite. And, and I think that makes the story more rich and more fun for the audience. And maybe this is a little bit of a minor spoiler, but I have to I have to ask Sarah about this. We actually get to see we actually get to see Suzette and Gwyneth at one point together. What was that mm -hmm. like? Oh well, CJ's amazing to work with. That was so much fun. She also, um, as you know, like she has a background in WWE wrestling. Oh, yeah. So I think in the back of my mind, I was like really hoping we'd get into like a, a real wrestling yes, match, which yes. we, didn't get to, we didn't get to work into the script, but she is a, she's a blast to work with. And um, really the, the dynamic with her and Chris Wendy and the three of us together in that, well, we won't say anymore, but that final mm -hmm. um, interaction, I just, uh, I think that's a really poignant way to kind of epitomize for me, what the story is about, which is finding your enoughness and not in another person, you know. I yeah. think the idea that, that um, Digsy is hoping that one of these two women might complete him and then sort of comes to some conclusions later on that he can, he can find that in himself, which I love. Definitely. We're talking to writer-director Monty Dapp, of course, of Another Version of You, and Sarah Antonio, who plays Suzette as well. You can get that at your favorite digital retailers right now, as a matter of fact. Now, Sarah, I feel like Suzette's in kind of a tough spot here, and I'll tell you why. Because it's kind of easy <laughs> for viewers to either, you know, feel bad for Digsy or root for Digsy, but Suzette can kind of come off as the bad guy, even though she didn't really do anything yeah. wrong. So do you kind of feel that way, too? And do you feel like that's just kind of part, part of how true to life this movie really is? Well, and I think that's always the risk with, like, um, glorifying a, a person, right? So that was kind of what he was doing, was placing her on this pedestal where mm -hmm. she couldn't even really 
no one could live up to that, that type of thing. So I did, I looked for ways to really like humanize her and ground her. Um, but I, I totally agree with what you're saying. I looked also at what Tatia Maslani did. I don't know if you know her from Orphan Black. Oh, yes, um, yes. So she plays clones in her, in throughout Orphan, the seasons of Orphan Black. And so I looked at like things that she did so that it wouldn't feel like this just general swath of, Suzette, the bad guy, you know, not being in a relationship with Digsy. And so each, um, for her clone characters, she signed each one like different colors and she used Mm -hmm. music. And so I really researched that and kind of found ways to like make sure there was enough enough depth to each character that hopefully, you know, you're not writing it off as like, oh, just another Suzette. So I gave them each a different playlist. Um, I used colors to kind of assign the different ones um, significance. And then something that Katya Maslany did that I, I didn't, I didn't actually pursue, but I loved that she did this was she gave each of her clones an animal. Yes. So that's maybe something for, for another, another day like that. But um, I loved, I loved researching what she does. I'm a bit of a researcher myself. So I love that kind of thing. Kind of brainwashing all kinds of great ideas here. I'm I'm sure that Modke's going to, you know, revisit this at some point. (laughs) He's like, you know what? Maybe, yeah, maybe there is a sequel there. Maybe we should think about this. Open things up. Love it. (laughs) Now, you you both mentioned Christopher Wente multiple times, and and you've worked with him on more than one project so far. So Mm. what was it like working with him, not just on this, but on other projects as well? Why is he just so cool to work with at some point? You know, it's it's funny. The first thing I ever worked on on Christopher with was, uh, was a commercial. Uh, he came and auditioned for this commercial that I was doing, and I thought, this guy's kind of wacky, and, and he's kind of out there, and he's got a lot of energy, and, and he just he did so well in the commercial that I said, hey, let's make a short film together. We made this short film that actually won a bunch of awards and ended up screening at the the Cannes Film Festival, which is the reason that we actually got to go to Iceland and France to film the initial stuff, and when I was working on that short film with him, I, I, I was like, this guy plays this fish out of water character so well. And that's exactly who Dixie was. And I already had the script written. And so when I started thinking, wow, we can go to Iceland and France, we can shoot some stuff and I can bring this crazy fun guy with all this energy along. Um, you know, it, it was, it was, it was a perfect blend. As a matter of fact, Chris introduced, Sarah and I to one another. He said, Hey, yes. I found your Look Suzette. At that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He said, come to my birthday party. I'm going to introduce you to this amazing actress. And I said, Oh, oh great. Sure. Went there, saw her. And I was like, Oh, well, there's Suzette. This is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, but no, working, with, working with, uh, with, with Christopher was, um, you know, we've worked on numerous things together, short films. And, um, he, he is, he's a delight he is, uh, he mm-hmm. is he's, he's such a dear friend um, to both Sarah and I, and we just, yes. yeah, he's, he's, he's great. We've, we've all been through a lot. Um, I, I, I don't know if you're going to bring this up, but I should bring this up. So Brittany Belland, who, who plays Daphne, took her own life a year ago. Uh, it was almost exactly a year ago to the day that the film came out. And so the, the three of us have really been, supporting one another and uh you know just it, it's just been a really tough year for all of us you know and um so i'm really glad to have sarah and chris in my life to 
walk through this because uh, you know we we all went to Iceland and France together. We all just bonded so well, mm-hmm. and uh, and then we got to reunite. You know, a year later uh, to finish the film. And uh, Brittany lived in LA and, and came out to Nashville to film with all of us. And you know, it was just special. And uh, yeah, so it's anyway, it's been a tough year for all of us for that. It, it's one of the things I'm most um, happy about with the film being released is that people are actually going to get to see how freaking talented and funny and hilarious Brittany was in yes. this role. Yeah, and I, I we just I just screened it for the first time since the Cincinnati Film Festival. Um, I screened it for some family and friends and it, she makes me laugh and I've seen the film a few times and I was there for a lot of it. Um, but she just makes me laugh in every one of her scenes and then she makes me cry in some of her scenes. So I'm really excited for people to see her work. So many special scenes with her as well. There's no question about that. Yeah. That's, uh, and that's it's such a sad story. It's that it's hard to transition from that. Into going back in and Sorry. talking about Sorry. the movie. No, no, that's, no, that's okay. What I'll do here's what I'll do. I'll, I'll, I'll lighten the mood a little bit. We'll, we'll have a little bit of fun if that if that's the case. So, I was thinking about the key, and we get to see a lot of special moments between Daphne and Digsy with the key and everything like that. And, yeah. and when and she's actually a big part of the very beginning of the movie. To not to, and uh, that's all I'll say. I won't spoil anything. But and I was thinking about the key, and I thought, you know. I think asking you guys if you would use the key is kind of a cop-out, so I'll ask you it this way. <laughs> Without naming names, do you know yeah. someone that you would give the key to? Mm. You know, so so for those who haven't seen the film yet, if you use this key to go into a parallel universe, you cannot go back. Right. So you leave everything that you know. And I think that, you know, that stake uh, is so high and, and, you know, somebody kind of has to be at their lowest low, even as yeah. weird from Eddie George, who plays Mortimer, talking about how his girlfriend was cheating on him and he was totally devastated because it was his best friend that she was cheating on him with. And, um, you know, so it's, it's almost, it's like, a, it's the Hail Mary of, of yeah. life, you know. <laughs> That's uh, exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Rolling the dice. <laughs> so, so it's tough, you know, because, I mean, I think you... You know, honestly, I think I, I, I'm curious, you know, Brittany had a lot of people that loved her, but, you know, I'm curious. I, I sometimes think, what if maybe Brittany just used the key? Maybe she found the key and just left us that way. And, and she's still out there traveling and adventuring. So that was, so I, w- I would say Brittany would be the one that I would, you know, hope that she would have done that rather than, than what actually happened. Because I, I think she... uh she could she could have navigated that universe so well. I know I wasn't supposed to name names, yeah. but yeah. Um, you know she's uh, she was just life and and happiness and and, and goodness. So, um, but no, it's tough, right? I mean, it's it's such a tough thing to think. Would I leave everything just for adventure? Uh, and some people would. What about you? I like Sarah, that answer. I'm get, I'm gonna, I'm going to piggyback on that too. Um, I like that. Well, and one of the Suzettes, um and in the script, she was called Fix Suzette, you know, calls out Sigzi uh, at one point on being a tourist. You know, don't be a tourist um, within use of the key. So in that, in that mindset, yeah, unless you had, unless someone was like really willing to like just commit and like adventure, I think, feel like you'd need a partner. I feel like you'd need, um, at least I would, someone to go like universe hopping with yeah 
And I think it'd be a lot easier if you were just like, okay, it's just the two of us. It's, it's almost like moving to a new city, you know, if you mm-hmm. don't have any yeah. friends or family, it's just like, hey, let's do this. This is very different, you know, and, uh, you know, I've, I've obviously thought about parallel universes a lot over the last 10 years or so uh, in making this film, but I always think, what if you go to a universe where Radiohead or the Beatles or <laughs> Martin Scorsese doesn't exist and you, you, mm-hmm. you bring with you some of their stuff and next thing you know, you could be that thing, you know? So there's all sorts of interesting things to think about, um, you know, what, what could you actually do with that? Uh, we did a whole show once on the perils of time travel. I mean, that that is a rabbit hole that we oh can go my down gosh. for like an hour, yes. I'm sure. But we want people yeah. to spend those hours watching another version of you, <laughs> which is available right now at your likely your favorite digital retailer. I was well, I was looking around. There's there's quite a few major digital retailers where you can get this. You want to get this. This is multi layered, and it's something that you'll be glad. It's one of those things where. You say, let me, let me go ahead and watch this, see how it is. You'll be glad that you did. It's Maki Dapp, writer and director, and Sarah Antonio plays Suzette. Thank you so much for joining me this week. James, thank you so much. This has been this has been a delight. We really appreciate it. You know, every now and then you'll come across a movie that surprises you. Maybe it's something that you happen to, if you still scroll through channels on your TV, you happen to find it, and you get locked in. Well, this that was what another version of you was. For me, it was one of those movies that, you know, I didn't know what to expect other than what the premise was going in. And then the more and more I watched it, the more and more I felt myself engaged by it and how it made me think and how I'm like, this is different. This is something that you don't see every day. And it's funny. It's heartfelt. There's so many things that are going for this. This is one of those times you would not, you will not be sorry if you take your time to watch another version of you, which you can find at your favorite digital retailer, whether it be Amazon or, or Voodoo, or it's also on Apple iTunes, the Apple iTunes store. Get this movie because it's one of those things that, you know, and around the Thanksgiving holidays when you've got a bunch of family over, it's one of those ones that you could certainly talk about with a huge group and everybody might have a different opinion. And creating discussion, that's one of the reasons that we love movies anyway, right? So thank you so much to Maki Dapp, writer, director, and Sarah Antonio, who plays Suzette, for coming on the show this week. Such a, I, I just had a great time watching this movie and talking to them. Hopefully you guys did, did too. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Of course, you want more from the show? Go to downandnerdypodcast.com and also follow along on social media, facebook.com slash downandnerdy and at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram as well. Hopefully you had a wonderful and safe Thanksgiving weekend. Be back next week with even more great stuff and even more talk about Christ's Son, Infinite Earths as well. But, but until then, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly. Be good to your fellow nerds.